How is everyone this morning? Good? Good? Does anyone else just get like super tired this time of year? I feel like I'm in like a perpetual state of, of tired. No, it's just me. I feel like my body is not made for this kind of weather. It's just, I get, everything gets stuck up here too. Does that happen to anyone besides me? I feel like everything's like compounded in my nose. So I sound all nasally this morning. And the other day I did the, uh, not the neti pot. I do the, the one where it like shoots all the stuff up and it comes out the other side. Anyone ever done that? Yes. You haven't lived, right? Until you, <laughs> you think you're drowning over your sink, flushing out your sinuses uh, with saline water. It's terrible. But you feel good afterwards. Your ears are all opened up. And then 30 minutes later, you're stopped up again. But it's okay. So I don't know what we're talking about this morning. Baptism, that's what we're talking about, right? I uh, hope everyone got to come out Friday to Shelbyville. It was fantastic. It was, yeah, it was great. Um, Beautiful weather, a ton of people. The city was just absolutely fantastic. Very, very smooth. It was really, really nice out there. So if you didn't get a chance to come out to that, I think we're editing the video and we'll release the whole video just on YouTube with it, you know, all nice and, and clean and pretty. And, and um, if you missed it, you can go back and watch it. It was, it was really great. So a couple of times a year, three times a year, we talk about baptism. We take a break from going through whatever book of the Bible we're going through and I teach a lesson on baptism, and we, we open up the opportunity for people to get baptized. This is very important to me. Some of you in this room have literally heard this dozens of times, and um, that's not an altogether bad thing, because if the topic of baptism ever comes up, uh, you are now a scholar in that, and you can step into that conversation, and they're gonna step back in awe and, 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 and wonderment of how learned you are on the subject of baptism, and that's okay. But um, this is our clearest, most probably visible way of seeing if the church is really doing what it's supposed to be doing, that we are fulfilling the great commission of Jesus to disciple and teach and also baptize people, right? I'll get into all that today. So if you've never heard me teach on baptism, I have two goals with this. One is I hope to just educate you from the Bible on why baptism is important, right? A little bit different than what I normally do. I usually read one chapter of the Bible and we break it down. I'll jump around today, which is not my, my normal way of doing things, but I just wanna present to you evidence as to why baptism is a big deal. So that's, that's goal number one. Goal number two is if you have not been baptized or maybe you were baptized as an infant before it was your decision to be baptized, my second goal today is to, to kind of gently nudge you over the edge to where you would take this step, right? Because God will bless you for it. Um, It's an act of obedience to God. It's a a major milestone in the life of a Christian, okay? And so those are my two goals this morning. So you got notes, handouts when you came in, everything's in there, everything's on the screen. We'll get done a little bit early today. And so we'll have a little extra time to take communion. That's the other thing. Even if you're in here and you've been baptized and, and you are a scholar on the subject, we'll have a little bit extra time today for you to take the Lord's Supper to pray a little bit, and um, you can watch some people get baptized. Isn't this a great picture? My buddy Andrew, who works here, or used to work here, um, adopted a couple of beautiful young ladies a couple years ago, and he got to baptize them recently, and that's a good picture of that. So uh, it's, a great, it's a great day just to celebrate things that God is doing in people's lives. So glad you guys are here, and um, I'll pray. We'll jump into this and, and uh, see what happens, okay? Good? All right. Weather's supposed to be bad today, isn't it? Like for the next six or seven days? Well, see, you'd have nothing else to do anyways. I'm glad you're here, all right? Cool. 
Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you for this church. God, I am madly in love with our church, God. We have a wonderful church. Thank you for Friday night, Lord. Thank you for the different campuses that we're getting to start in different towns and cities. And Lord, we just pray that you keep your hand on our church. But not just our church, Lord. We pray that you keep your hand on, on every church in our city, every church in all the cities where we have other campuses, God. We pray that you just keep your hand on your church, your global church. And Lord, that everything we do today, that it honors you, that it blesses you. Thank you for the 13, 14 people last night that got baptized, God. And thank you, Lord, for whoever today who chooses to get baptized, God. We thank you for that, Lord. We love you and praise you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, God. Amen. If you've never heard me talk about baptism, um, it is not an overtly complicated thing. Uh, the Bible says this is where we become a new person. It says we become a new man, a new woman. Um, this is the way I always talk about baptism because I'm a very simple person and I need things in simple terms, is I look at baptism as like a wedding ring. Uh, this is not my marriage. This is, this is not my marriage. This is a symbol of the fact that I am taken by one person, right? That I'm committed to one person. Uh, this is not your salvation. If you choose to get baptized today, that's not your salvation. It is a symbol of the fact that you have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. It is you telling the world, I am spoken for, right? I am married to my husband, my spiritual husband, Jesus, and there are no other spiritual mates, right, that I'm going to have in my life. Same thing that a wedding ring does. It says that you are spoken for, you are committed. So basically what that means is this. It is probably the most public and identifiable way of us saying to the world, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And biblically speaking, it would kind of mark our adoption into the family of Jesus Christ, the family of God. So baptism is one of those mile markers. There's lots of those in the life of a Christian. The first one would be the acknowledgement that God exists, right? The second one would kind of be our repentance, which means now that I know that God exists, I know that I have done things that God doesn't like, right? So I ask for forgiveness of that. I, I decide to turn my life around. And then we have baptism, which is a sign of obedience. Again, our public statement to the world that I am choosing to go this direction. It's a mile marker. It marks a turning point in the life of a Christian. So here's what I hope to do today. I already said this earlier. I want to present to you evidence. If you're kind of like, eh, I don't know if this is for me or not. I don't know if I need to take this step. Well, again, I want to show you biblically why you should consider doing this and why it's very, very important in the life of a Christian. The first one may be the most obvious. It may be the most blatant. And it is the fact that Jesus Christ was baptized. He was the example. Now, right now, if you're new to the church, we're in an Old Testament book. We're in the book of Nehemiah. We'll finish that up next week. And if you have not read the end of Nehemiah, it is a plot twist. It's, it's, uh, it would make a fantastic movie. Anyways, we'll get to that next week though. Right now, we're in the Old Testament of this book. And in the Old Testament, they dealt with sin dramatically different than how we deal with sin today in the New Covenant, New Promise, New Testament era. The way they would deal with sin in the Old Testament is there had to be a sacrifice, literally a sacrifice. You would find an animal, <clears throat> you would kill it, you would pour the blood on an altar, you would burn parts of it, eat parts of it, discard certain parts of it, and what this ceremony did, this sacrifice did to God, was it did not 
alleviate your sin. It didn't rid you of sin. It rolled that sin forward to the following year when you did the whole process again. That's why in the New Testament, it says that Jesus didn't just take the sins of the present and the future. It says he took the sins of the past as well. Those things had compounded to him. And the reason it all ended with him was Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice. He shed his blood. He was sacrificed for all of the sins that had ever been, were committed at that time and will be committed in the future if people repent of what they have done. So post Jesus's crucifixion, how we deal with sin is different than it was in the past. Now, how does this relate to baptism? Well, baptism is symbolic of the sacrifice. And if we ask God to forgive us of our sin, if we get baptized for the remission of those sins, they are completely gone. They are completely alleviated. There's no more stacking up. There's no more debt, if you will, that it is permanently gone. Now, this all started in the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, God sent a man named John the Baptist whose sole purpose was, A, he dressed really interestingly and ate bugs. But besides that, his sole purpose was to baptize people. So day in, day out, John the Baptist was in the Jordan River. They say he baptized over 100,000 people. He's baptizing people, preparing them for the Savior. So one day, the Savior, Jesus, shows up, God in the flesh, right? Shows up, gets into the Jordan River, goes up to John the Baptist. John knew exactly who Jesus was. And Jesus said, John, I need you to baptize me. Imagine if you were John the Baptist, right? God incarnate walks up to you and says, do this for me. Do me a solid, John, right? Imagine your response there. John was like, I, I'm not fit to do this. You should be baptizing me, not the other way around. But here was Jesus's response. Here's why he was doing this. He said, allow it now because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was saying, God wants to make an example out of me. I'm doing this to set the example for everyone around me. So John agreed. He baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. Jesus comes up out of the water. The sky opens up. The Holy Spirit descends down on Jesus. It says like a dove. And then they audibly hear the voice of God say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We learn a ton from this interaction of Jesus getting baptized. One thing we learn is this, Jesus didn't have to get baptized because Jesus didn't have any sin. He hadn't done anything wrong. So why did he do it? He did it so we could follow his example. If Jesus gets baptized, if we're followers of Jesus, it means that we should probably follow in those footsteps and get baptized as well. We also learn that Jesus never asks us to do anything that he isn't willing to do first. What a great leader, right? He does it first, he leads by example. That's why that's important. We also learn that baptism pleases God the Father. And if we do it for no other reason, it makes God the Father proud, right? And we should consider that. So the first piece of evidence is Jesus was baptized. He was the example. The second piece of evidence is that because of our obedience to God through baptism, the Holy Spirit is activated 
in us. Now, if you have been with me through the book of Nehemiah, I, I feel like I've been saying the word sanctification a lot. Now, that's a very fancy word. It's not a word you need to be afraid of. All sanctification means is that over time as a Christian, we are getting closer and closer to God, which means we act more like God. We think like him more. We speak like him more. We respond to things. We love people more. We're, we're, we're starting to be more in the image of God. As we grow more in the image of God, sanctified, it means that God can start using us more, sets us apart for his use. Now, in this process of becoming more sanctified, the choices we make as Christians activate promises in our life. If you read this book, let me tell you about this book a little bit. There's a lot of conditional promises in this book. What that means is if we do something, God promises he will do something as a reaction to that. Uh, there's a really, really good one in the Old Testament that says, if a nation will humble themselves, he will bless that nation. That's a conditional promise. If you humble, I will bless, right? And there's lots of conditional uh, promises like that in the Bible. One of them actually includes baptism. It's in Acts chapter two. And I'll read it to you here in a second, but what it says is this. If we ask God to forgive us of our sin, if we are obedient in baptism, God promises that he will empower us with his Holy Spirit. If you do this, I will do this. Now, where this comes up is when the church is born. That's us, right? When the church was first birthed, this is in the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, right? The fifth book of the New Testament. When the church is birthed, it is after the crucifixion of Jesus. The disciples were told to go and wait for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. They were told to rent this big rented apartment building. Uh, this, they call it the upper room, right? Because it was literally on a second floor, upper room. Go wait for the Holy Spirit, pray fast, and God's gonna show up. They had no idea. The, the, the followers of Jesus had no idea what that would look like, but they obeyed Christ and they went and waited for the Holy Spirit. After several days of fasting and praying, and after, you know, there was 500 of them, and then it dwindled down to 120, the 120 that were left in this room were praying, waiting on the Holy Spirit. And it says in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came in like a rushing mighty wind, filled up all the people in the room. They started to speak in languages that they weren't supposed to be able to speak in, right? Tongues that, that they were not learned in, and it says that they went down, they poured out onto the streets of Jerusalem. And it happened to be at a time when a large festival was taking place and people from all over the world were crossing paths in Jerusalem. And so the reason why it's important that God gave them the ability to speak in languages that they shouldn't have been able to speak is because now the gospel was being spread by people to these people from all over the world who spoke different languages. And as they walked by, someone would walk by and go, wait a second, this group of people shouldn't know my, my native tongue, but they are talking about this guy, Jesus, in my native tongue. And so a crowd formed, right? And some of the skeptical people of the crowd, they said, well, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Those followers of Jesus just must be drunk, right? Because everyone speaks fluent foreign languages when they're intoxicated, just logic, right? And so they said, well, they must be drunk. 
And Peter, who wrote this, right, who was the leader of the Christians at the time, Peter gets their attention. He says, no, 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 they're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit of God giving them this ability. And the Old Testament talked about this, specifically in the book of Joel, right? That one day the Holy Spirit was gonna be poured out. That's what you're looking at. And so then he told them the reason this is happening is because the savior of mankind, Jesus Christ, was crucified. Listen, and he looked at the people and he said, and you guys are the one that did it. You crucified him. The crowd heard this and they were humbled by this. And they said, okay, we believe you, Peter. What do we do? The million dollar question, right? What do we do now? And this was Peter's response. Peter said, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And look at this, conditional promise. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, it's for your kids, and it's for a bunch of people who haven't even heard it yet. It said that Peter went on, he testified, he urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. Look at this. And those that accepted the message of Jesus, right, were baptized. And that day they baptized about 3,000 people. Why is this important? It's important, not because there's anything magical about the waters of baptism, but there is something powerful and special about when we are obedient to God. Not only does God forgive us of our sins, right? But if we're obedient to him, God empowers us with his spirit. And that spirit not only produces fruit in our lives, it also gives us gifts of the Holy Spirit. And listen, we don't need to be afraid of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul just says in 1 Corinthians, we need to be educated on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, if you're a Christian in here, you need the gift of wisdom right now in 2021. Am I right? We need the gift of discernment. We need the gift of courageous faith. But man, God may give us the gift of prophecy or speaking in tongues or interpreting tongues or he may give us a multiplicity of gifts. We don't need to be intimidated by that. We just need to know what the Bible says about that. And so I recommend that you go back, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. Go back and read these things. It will bless you, right? And we will become more educated on this. So baptism plays into these promises of God. Another thing we see that's maybe a very blatant, obvious thing is that Jesus simply instructs us to be baptized. I don't know if anyone else in this room struggles with rebellion, right, and stubbornness. I think, <laughs> I think all of us do on some level, some of us maybe more than others. I was a naturally rebellious kid, probably still a naturally rebellious person. That is, that is my natural thing. If you tell me I can't do something or have to do something, I'm like, well, I'm gonna do the exact opposite of that, right? That's how I am. Now, here's the thing. The problem is, if I claim to be a follower of Jesus, there is no room for rebellion. If we claim to be a follower of anything, guys, there is, we may not understand everything about that, but we are choosing to follow the lead of this, this, this thing. In our case, it is Jesus Christ. And I cannot explain to you every nuance of this book. I can't explain to you every nuance of why God wants us to get into a tank of water but I know that the Bible tells us to do this and it's not up for me to debate God, it's up to me to be submissive and obedient to God. That's what we have to do. Look at this, Jesus himself said, go, this is directly to the church, right before he ascended into heaven in bodily form, right? This is the last thing he told his church to do. Make disciples of all nations, 
baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything that I've taught you. And look at this, he talks about the Holy Spirit right here. And remember, I am with you to the end of the age. That's, that's referring to what we talked about in the last part in the book of Acts. Jesus is not with us in body right now. He is with us in spirit right now. And he will be with us until he comes back in body, right? But he tells us to go out and baptize people. Look at this. Jesus says in the gospel of John, this is, I think all of us as Christians, we need to get this tattooed like in reverse on our chest. So when we're brushing our teeth in the morning, we see it written out correctly, right? This is a wonderful scripture. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. That's as simple as it gets. Look how profound and simple Jesus is. If you claim to follow me, you'll follow me. So if I tell you to go out and make disciples, baptize them and teach them, just do it. And if Jesus would say, and if you're not doing that, maybe you don't love me. This is very direct, very simple stuff. Another, maybe the most beautiful thing about baptism, in my opinion, is baptism is highly symbolic. And what it's symbolic of, it is symbolic of the old you dying and a new you resurrecting. So baptism is the semblance of a death, but it's also, it's also symbolic of a new life, someone rising from the grave, if you will. That's why when we baptize, we, we, we put you completely underwater. In fact, the Greek word baptismo, right, where we get baptism means to submerge in water because it's symbolic of you being buried and then coming up out of that grave. Now, if you choose to get baptized today, it doesn't mean that you come out of the water and you're just perfect, right? Never think a bad thought again, never lust again, never become greedy again. No, 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 you're gonna make mistakes. The difference is, is you are now on a different path. You are moving away from a destructive path and you are moving towards eternal life in Christ. And you are no longer a slave to what you used to be. Here's the thing. Jesus had a conversation with a very intelligent man named Nicodemus one time. And Nicodemus asked a question about what it means to be born again. I often get asked in this church, Corey, do you believe that you can be born into a certain lifestyle or a certain way of thinking, right? And I say, well, of course you can. Every single one of us in this room was born into some propensity to sin, some kind of sinful nature. The question isn't, can we be born a certain way? The question is, will we choose to be born again? That's the question. And Jesus said, it's not how you're born. It's the choice to be born a second time, a spiritual time. And that's what baptism symbolizes. Look at what Paul says here. Are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Under, right? Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we walk in a newness of life. We walk differently. Not because the water is magical, but when we are obedient to God, he gives us the strength to live differently. That's what that means. For if we are united with him in the likeness of his death, we will be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Look at this. For we know that our old self is crucified and that sin's dominion over the body no longer exists. We are no longer enslaved to sin. Let me pause here for a second. 
We need to change how we talk about ourselves. It is really, really bad theology. It is not biblical for born again Christians to label themselves as just dirty, rotten sinners. We're all just dirty, rotten sinners. No, you're not. It is offensive to the one that hung on a cross and shed his blood to get you out of the ditch you are you were in to say that you are still in the ditch. That is not your identity anymore. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but the former you has been crucified and you are no longer a slave to sin. Stop labeling yourself as dirty, rotten sinner. Jesus didn't die on the cross to leave us in the exact same state that he found us in. That's not the case. That is bad theology. We are born again. We are different. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings, redeemed, justified, sanctified, purified. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we are not under the same identity that we used to be under. So becoming a Christian and choosing to get baptized, again, does not mean that we are free of mistakes. It does mean, according to scripture I just read you, that we are no longer slaves to our former lifestyles. We can be delivered. We can be permanently changed. The whole point of salvation is to get us off the path of destruction, put us on the path to eternal life. That is the whole point of why Jesus saved our souls. We have to change our verbiage. And that goes to this next point, that baptism has to do with your identity. So here's the thing. There is no magical formula when you get baptized. If you do a baptism today, uh, I prefer that if you have brought someone to church, if you are friends with that person, I would rather, instead of me baptizing them, you baptize them. Now, a lot of people, when they do a baptism, whether it be their friend or their spouse or their child or their, their you know, I don't know, their parents or whatever the case may be, People are often intimidated and they say, well, what do I say? Well, the first response to that is, listen, there's nothing you can say that's going to ruin their baptism because baptism is between them and the Lord, right? It's about the state of their heart when they get into that water. No one can thwart anyone else's salvation. But in saying that, it is also important that everyone knows who is getting baptized what the identity is that they're taking on. We are taking on the identity of Jesus. So if you have nothing else to say, if you have no eloquent words, or if you're not a theologian and you can't spout off just beautiful words from the Bible, if you're baptizing someone and you just say, in the name of Jesus, that is sufficient because that name holds all power. It's the only name by which we are saved. God knows your heart. God knows what's going on. And if you just say the name of Jesus, that's enough. It's good right? Because that is our identity. This is an important topic because we live in a world right now, specifically the United States, that is so wrapped up in identity. We find our identity in everything, don't we, right? Everything, what's, we, we come up with new titles and new ridiculous ways of identifying ourselves as this or that and all these different things. And Paul addressed this. Thousands of years ago, Paul addressed the argument of identity, and he says, look, for those of you that are baptized into Christ, there's no Jew or Greek. There's no American or Mexican or Canadian. There is no, there is no slave or free. There is no rich or poor. There is no male or female. It's not about your gender or your sexual preference. We are all one in Jesus Christ. 
This is so pertinent to our culture today because identity has become an idol. And we identify literally with everything except for the one thing that we are made in the image of. Listen, our, our, our mission as Christians is not to get gay people straight or, or you know, liberal people conservative. Our, our mission is to turn everyone's eyes to Jesus and let Jesus work it out. Let Jesus work out the hearts of man. If we will find our identity in Christ first, everything else will start to pan out. That's why understanding who we are in God through baptism is extremely important, okay? The last big question that, that people always ask, and if you've never heard me teach this, if you've heard me teach this, right, you, you, you know where I'm going. If you haven't heard me teach this, this may be a little anticlimactic. But people always ask, Corey, do you have to be baptized to be saved? You know what my favorite argument against this is when people say, well, I don't think you have to be baptized to be saved because the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. My response is, I don't think he had much of a choice, right? <laughs> he's up there and he's like, hey guys, can you pull these out for a second? Jesus says, I gotta get baptized. I I'll promise I'll get back on, right? It's a terrible argument, right? It's a terrible argument. It doesn't make any sense. And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus can break his own rules if he chooses to. So there is a normative way of doing things in the Bible. There are also things that happen that are called anomalies. In the Old Testament, there is a donkey that talks. Just because it happened once doesn't mean you can find a field in Tennessee and walk up to a donkey and be like, hey man, What do you think about the state of the economy? <laughs> well, blah, blah, blah. It, it was an anomaly. Not every donkey speaks, right? It has happened, but it's not the normative way of doing things. That's the thief on the cross. It did happen. That guy's in paradise because Jesus said he would be. But that's not the normative way that it happens in the Bible. So if we look at the normative way of how things happen in the Bible, right? It's good to go back to the Bible. We learn in the New Testament that virtually every single time someone comes into a relationship with God, four things happen at the front end of it. One is, is they simply believe. When I say believe here, they, they understand that Jesus is everything he said he is. That doesn't mean they're saved just by that belief. Well, Corey, wait a second. It says, for those who believe and call out that they're saved. It says in the book of James that even the devils in hell believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They're not saved because they do not live in that belief, right? They know who Jesus is. They used to be roommates with him in heaven, right? Before they got kicked out. But they do not follow him. They do not submit to him. But the first step is we understand who Jesus is. The second thing, if we understand who Jesus is, truly understand, right, and wanna give our lives to him, we have a heartfelt sorrow for the fact that we have done things against Jesus. I'll put it in a very dramatic way when we realize that the things that I have done wrong are exactly what put him on the cross. We feel sorrow for that. And we want to ask for his forgiveness. Not only that, we want to move away from evil things. The third thing that typically happens, and I'm getting these out of order, these last two, is people what I have, what I call daily faith, which means I don't just believe that Jesus is the son of God, right, and the savior of mankind. I trust him with everything. I pray. I read the word of God. I have a relationship with Jesus, right? And I believe I need him every single day of my life. Saving faith, some people call it. 
but it's a daily faith. And then the other thing we see over and over again in the New Testament is when people come into a relationship with Jesus, they're baptized. It's a public statement of faith. It's an act of obedience. It is a, it is a public thing about what's going in privately in your heart. And we see it all throughout the New Testament. Now, in saying all that, that does not answer the question, do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? The reason why I always find the conclusion of this lesson maybe anticlimactic is I refuse to address that question. It's like if someone comes up to me, right, and they've been married for a while, and they say, Corey, do I have to be intimate with my wife? Do I have to talk to her every day? And I would say, well, that's a horrible question. If you truly love your wife, I hope you should want to be intimate with them and want to speak to them on a daily basis if you truly love them, right? If you don't want to talk to them or be close to them, I'd say there is a greater problem, right, that we need to deal with. So whenever someone comes to me and says, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, do I have to do this thing? I would say the thing is not the real problem. I would say your submission and love for Jesus is maybe not what you think it is. Our hearts need to be checked. Let me tell you why I say that. If you are in this room this morning or watching on YouTube or whatever, right? If you at least have a rudimentary understanding of what Jesus has done for humanity, and if you've never heard it, I'm gonna say it right now, that God came in flesh lived as a humble, some would say poor man, because he mentions most of the time he didn't have a place to sleep at night, lived as a poor man, humble man, that he was arrested unlawfully, beat, spat upon, nailed to a hunk of wood and hung on that hunk of wood for nine hours. Why? Because you and I were guilty and he was paying the price for our guilt and sin if we understand that Jesus did that for us and our first response is, what is the bare minimum I have to do for him? I would say there is a huge disconnect. There is a huge heart issue. So do you have to be baptized? I have an opinion on that. But my response is, that's an awful question. That's an awful question to ask. Now, let me turn it this way, guys. If you get into this book, I would say that we should address every teaching in this book in that same manner. If I truly love God more than anything, right? If I say that, when I come across things in this book, even if I don't completely understand or if I'm uncomfortable, if I love him and follow him and if he has my allegiance, it's not what can I get away with. It is God what can I do to draw myself closer to you? What can I do to make you proud? What can I do to honor your kingdom? Though I know I can never pay you back, God, what can I do to at least try, right? What can I do to honor what you have done for me? So here's the thing in here this morning. If you have not been baptized, guys, I don't wanna guilt you into it. I don't wanna shame or manipulate you into it. But I would say this, if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, whether a brand new one or whether you've been one for 30 years, had a guy got baptized last night. He said, I've been a believer since the 80s and I've never gotten baptized. But today, today, because of what you said, I, I need to do this, right? Regardless of where you are, I would challenge you 
why have you not done this yet? I would also challenge you to say, you will not regret it. If there is some kind of apprehension to this, I'm gonna tell you, I have not baptized anyone in the last 13 years who came up out of the water regretting making that decision. I've never done that. Joy, because you're being obedient to God, right? So here's the thing this morning. All of us in this room, regardless of where you are in your walk, right? All of us in this room this morning have an opportunity to respond to what Jesus has done for us. The first step is this. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike is up here. There's Pastor Mike. Wave at Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike is up here. If you are in this room and you are either not a Christian or maybe you're a brand new Christian, you're just like, man, I got questions. Mike is very educated. He's got a master's degree in divinity. If you have any questions for him about our church, about God, about faith, about any of that, he will do his best to answer you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Questions are perfectly fine, right? That's the first way. The second way you can respond is this. If you are in this room and either you have never been baptized or you're baptized at a, at a time in your life when it wasn't your decision, right? If you are in this room, you can go straight through these doors here in a moment. We have clothes, we have towels, the water is clean and warm. We will get your information so we can keep in touch with you. It is completely painless. We will pray with you. It'll be wonderful. You can take that step of baptism. I give you my word, you will not regret it. The last thing is for, for the remaining people in this room, which may be the majority of you. If you are in this room, you've given your life to God, you've been baptized for the remission of your sins, you have a relationship with him, we have a little extra time today to take communion. All around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, there's the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Jesus. Now listen, I know we've been talking about baptism today, but, but for all of you in this room, please do not let yourself get into a place in your Christian walk where you take communion for granted. Please, please. Jesus himself said right before he was arrested, he got together with his friends, right? And he said, do this every time you gather together in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, if you take communion today, we're ending early. Please don't skip out on this. Get the, get the body, get the blood, the bread and the wine. Go back to your seat. Ask God to forgive you of anything that may be in your heart. And listen, maybe just take a couple of moments and just listen for a little bit. God, speak to me. Talk to me. God, I thank you for everything you've done in my life. It reminds us of just how much Jesus loves us. Not only did Jesus die for us, the body and blood, right? Jesus was resurrected, so his spirit is with you. And we have this opportunity in this crazy, busy world. Take 10 minutes and just stop. Slow down. Meditate and think about God a little bit. Please do not take this for granted, okay? All of us have an opportunity to respond today. Will you bow your heads with me? I wanna pray with you. Lord Jesus, God, for anyone in this room, Lord, we, we all have an opportunity to respond to you today, God. If there's anyone just starting this journey, Lord, let them come up and talk to Mike. If there's anyone in this room that needs to, to get into the waters of baptism, Lord, in just a calm way, in a, in, a, in a gentle but firm way, God, Lord, nudge them in the right direction, encourage them to take this step, God. 
And Lord, for all of us in this room that take communion today, God, Lord, let us address the sin in our hearts. And Lord, let us take this as a, as a reminder of how much you love us, how much you care about us, God. God, we love you. We thank you. Protect everyone in this room, everyone at home. Keep your hand on us, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourselves. Thank you, guys.